from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Yeah, come on now. Welcome to the Badass Counseling Show. I am Sven Erlinson. Uh, and I am in studio today with uh, my producer Rob on all the technical, all the sound, all the everything. Give us a shout here, Rob. It's all good, Sven. Don't worry. It's always good when Rob's in the house. He makes me look good. And that is not an easy thing to do, to make this mug or this voice or anything coming out of my pie hole sound good. I've also got KC over in the booth, and she's the silent one today. To all of my podcast listeners, it's great to have you here on the show. We're actually doing a format that we're growing to like a little bit, where I go online. We're taping a live online feed and where I'm taking questions from listeners on the fly. And they, they know that I'm going, and they're giving me their live feed right now. I've got tons of questions coming at me, 100 miles an hour here. And for those of you who follow me on the podcast and don't follow me, let's say, on TikTok or over on Instagram or whatever, this is very spontaneous. When we get in this live format, it's spontaneous. There's a bit of wildness to it. So, uh, so let's see how it goes. All right, here we go. Taking the first question. I have a friend who has a gaming addiction. I hardly hear from him. What things can I say to him? Please help. Thanks. Gaming addiction. Gaming addiction is just as serious as any other addiction. And it has the power to draw us in and suck us in, just like the bottle, just like drugs, just like uh, shopping addiction, just like work addiction, child addiction, addicted to parenting and all this shit. And when someone checks out on an addiction... Man, you lost them. And so the question that you asked me, uh, and this is from Allah, uh, with a J on the end, uh, Allah J. Um, you know, I hardly hear from him. What can I say to him? You know, help. What can I say? The thing that you say to anybody who's struggling, the thing that you say to anybody who's going through a hard time in life is ultimately is, I love you, man. I love you. I care about you. And I'm here. And I miss you. And if someone is in a, an addiction, they're in the throes of something often more powerful than them. And you can convey that love, but it's also important that you not get sucked into that addiction too, or sucked into somehow being codependent, or somehow get sucked into allowing your life to be taken over by longing for your friend, or longing for your lover, and longing to be close to them, and they're forever checked out. And so you have to monitor your boundaries as well, but give them the love. And let them know that you care and so forth. But in the end, you can't pull them out of this. And the real trick, and, and this, is, this is something I've learned from clients over the years that I've worked with, particularly those involved with a lover or a friend or a family member who's involved with drugs, although it, they, it goes across multi-platforms, not just drug addiction. And I don't claim to be a drug addiction specialist, nothing like that. But one of the things that I've learned is that the real frustration with people who have addiction, isn't that, you know, uh, gee, you know, Sven, I love them when they're sober, or I love them when they're not gaming, or I love them when they're not, you know, overworking, when they're not engaged in their addiction, they're fantastic. And I say, no, that's bullshit. And like, fuck, what are you talking about, Sven? What do you mean it's bullshit? I said, yes, you think you love their personality when they're not using whatever it is they're using, gambling, cheating, gaming, booze. You think that's when you most love them, but actually that's the part you hate the most. And people look at me when I say that and, I'm like, and they're like, what the fuck are you talking about, old man? <laughs> and I say, no, that's the part of them you hate the most because that's when they, that is when they make the decision. It's when they're sober. That's when they make the decision to not get help. It's not when they're in it. No one can expect someone when they're in the throes of it to get help. It's those times in between when they're sober, when they're clean, when they're thinking clearly and that they don't make the decision then. That's the fucking offense. And so someone who's locked into a gaming addiction, that was the original question. A friend with a gaming addiction, hardly hear from him, what can I say to him? When they're out of the gaming addiction, you can lovingly encourage and help them see, but at the very least, give them love. But you can 
attempt to help them see. And then the question that they are addicted or they seem to be addicted, and but this comes down to a problem then of what's called insight. Do they have insight to see, holy shit, I have a problem? Now, it's possible for someone to be addicted and not think they have a problem. That's lack of insight. And that's a whole different level where they don't even think they have a problem. But there are those that come out of it at times and realize, holy shit, I do have a problem. And really, ultimately, it's on them. You can convey the love, but you got to protect your fucking boundaries because if they don't want to get help, there ain't a goddamn thing you can do except love them. But you got to keep your distance too because they will pull you down with them. It's like in lifeguard training, man. They teach you when you go out there to save that person, you got to be in fucking control. Otherwise, they will try to push you down to push themselves up. All right. Next question. What do we got? What do you have, uh, Sven, for advice on setting boundaries with parents who take no accountability? Setting boundaries implies that you want a boundary. Setting a boundary with, a, with anyone implies that they are transgressing. They're coming across the property line. If I put up a fence around my property, it's because my next door neighbor's dog, little Freddy, comes running over to my property. And so I got to put up a fucking fence or it's because my neighbor, uh, Sandy, is always walking onto my property. So I got to put up a fucking fence. In other words, someone is coming onto my property. Someone is coming onto my territory, onto my turf, inside my sort of uh, property, myself, and they're trying to do a fucking home makeover. Or they're offering criticism on how I fucking plant my plants or they're offering criticism on how I live my life. Sorry, I don't want you coming over onto my fucking property. So if you're putting up a fence... If you're putting up a boundary between you and your parents is because you don't like the fact that they're basically coming on your property, metaphorically speaking, and they're trying to rearrange the fucking furniture. They're telling you they don't like how you run your fucking life. And so how do you set a boundary with people who take no accountability? Well, see, now you're saying sort of two different things. They don't take any accountability, which implies if we piece them together they're not taking accountability for the fact that they're coming onto your fucking property. They're coming into your life and they're trying to tell you everything that's fucking wrong with you, but they refuse to acknowledge that they're doing it. They, or they refuse to say anything they're doing is bad. So how do you set a boundary? Ultimately, the ultimate way to set boundaries is to start by being as precise as you can and telling the person kindly and compassionately yet firmly, this is what I want and this is what I need from you. All right? And you convey that. And either they blow it off or they honor it. And then maybe you convey it again. Maybe you even convey it a third time. Now, and sometimes uh, we'll convey that message 50 fucking times and nothing changes. And next time in our relations with somebody else, maybe we do it 25 times. And then further down the road with someone else, maybe we do it five times. And eventually we realize, I don't need to do it 25 or 50 fucking times. I'm going to do it a couple of times. And either this person responds favorably or they don't. And if your parents refuse to respond to the boundaries that you need, the things that you want for your life, and that you're asking them to respect and be kind about, if they're not honoring that, in the end, the boundary that you set is removing yourself from their company, refusing to take their calls or taking them uh, more infrequently, less frequently, uh, spending time with them less Maybe you have to change geography. I have so many people saying, well, you know, Sven, if you change geography or whatever, you're taking your problems with you. Yeah, but there's something to be said for changing geography, even if, even if it means moving out of mom and dad's house or moving across the country from a lover that, you know, you're so enmeshed with or whatever. There's something about changing geography in whatever form it may take, even if it's creating geography, creating distance between us by phone. In other words, I'm not taking your calls. I'm waiting a couple days to respond. There's something about changing geography, giving ourselves space that gives us room to work on the issues that I'm taking with me. There's something about giving someone immediacy to us that makes it that can make it very difficult to work on my own shit. So if your parents aren't honoring your boundaries, you have to create a greater boundary. You have to remove yourself. You have to push back, remove them from your company. Stop responding to their shit. You have to do what you need to do for you. You have to give yourself permission to go to the next level of creating a taller wall so that they don't come across onto your property, so to speak. Is someone commented on just that by saying that's so much easier if your mom doesn't live with you. You're absolutely right. Changing geography. Um, you basically told, this is uh, HJC Mama. You told your mom, we can't do this anymore. And I, I applaud you. Next, what do we got? What is the difference between a boundary and an ultimatum then? Because now I feel lost. A boundary is where you're just saying, yeah, 
you know, I honor you. I want you in my life, but you know, I don't want to see you every single day or I need room to, you know, there are nice ways to say that, but basically it's a boundary is fundamentally saying, I want you in my life, but here are the terms that I want. And I intend to follow through on my terms. An ultimatum is, listen, if you don't change, I'm really so offended at this point and it's gotten to the point where I'm so annoying that I need you to change. And if you don't change, I don't want you in my life. Difference between a boundary and ultimatum, a boundary is that you still want someone in your life. An ultimatum is I'm, I'm tired of this bullshit. Fuck off, I'm done with this shit. Now, maybe there's room for reparations later if they actually own their shit, but uh, generally a boundary is because I have a relationship with my neighbor. You know, good fences make good neighbors. You know, I love my neighbors, but we have fences, you know? I love them, uh, but I, I love my relationships with my neighbors uh, because we honor each other and so forth. And it's the same way in friendships. It's the same way in love and so forth. How do you deal with toxic parents because you rely on them financially while you go to school? Oh, that's a good one. I literally, we just recorded two episodes on failure to launch and from parent perspective, from kid perspective and so forth. How do you deal with, uh, with toxic parents when you're sort of dependent upon them for school, you have the courage to start speaking the truth. And the truth is a parent who threatens to cut you off because you're calling them on their transgressing of your boundaries, on their toxicity, that is a parent who may claim they love you, but they're fucking with you. That's fucking manipulation. If you're in any sort of relationship in life where the person can't accept criticism or can't ex uh, accept constructive criticism or can't accept you having boundaries, you're not in a relationship. You're in like a little fucking dictatorship where they have power over you and you continue to give them power over you. And the truth is, um, do you have the courage to stand up for your own self and to not allow toxic behavior in your life, especially when it comes to parents. Truth is, 95% of the time, the most powerful people in your life are your parents. It's not culture. It's not peers. Now, those are important, but no. The people who created the programming inside of you and your sense of worth and your fears and your anxieties and, and your pain, it goes back to parents. And so if you begin to have the courage to stand up to your parents, Pretty much everything after that is downhill, all right? And so how do you do it? You stand up, you make your needs known, and you stand up for it, and you call them out on your toxicity, and you say, I, I can't let you treat me that way. And if they say, well, fine, we're going to pull the funding on your schooling, then your parents are kind of fucking assholes, to be honest with you. That somebody would pull their fucking funding because you call out their toxicity? It's like, can we be fucking petty now? So fundamentally, you want to tell me what's wrong with me, the kid, but I don't get to say what's wrong with you. So you're beyond repro reproach. You're like fucking Jesus Christ himself, sinless. No, it's just like, if we're truly going to have a reciprocal relationship, an adult relationship where everybody is owning their shit, fine, I'm happy to own my shit, but are you willing to own yours? And so often the parents' fucking identity is founded on the notion that I'm a great parent. And their personal identity is based so much on their parenting. So to receive criticism from you is seen as an undermining of their very identity. And I'm sorry, the more energy and time you invest into anything, the more that thing becomes part of your identity. So if it's parenting, that parenting, you see yourself, your identity, your sense of self, your sense of worth as wrapped up in fucking parenting. And so if a kid comes along and says, well, you know what? I really don't like how you're treating me there. Oh, no, 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 I can't handle that. You don't get to criticize me. I'm a great fucking parent. Well, even great parents make fucking mistakes, some that have potentially long-term uh, negative effects. So yeah, with toxic parents, even if they're paying the bill, the truth is, and this is an ugly truth, if you're going to have a new relationship with your parents, in most cases, now there are some great parents who will redefine the relationship lead in redefining the relationship as the child ages into new cycles of life. Teens versus 20s, 20, mid-20s versus uh, late 20s versus early 30s. That the parent will lead in that and allow for a morphing of the relationship. But very often, the child has to teach the parent what the child needs and how the child now, now an adult child, now a young adult, now an adult, Want, insists on being treated because if you don't retrain your parents, 
they're going to keep acting the way they always did. And of course, the fear in trying to retrain them, the fear is that you may never get those needs met that you've been wanting your whole fucking life, like approval, acceptance, acknowledgement of the pain they caused, apology, those sorts of things. All right, next fucking question. Oh, I'm sorry, but Generation Generation X thinks they deserve it all when they don't. <laughs> <laughs> My producer, Rob, is laughing at that one. Rob's got a couple of years on me. I'm 55, and I think he's boomer, whatever. And uh, Generation X thinks they deserve it all when they don't. I don't know if that's coming from someone older than Generation X saying we're pampered kids. Whatever, man. I mean, I, you know, every generation when they're in their fucking 20s is told they're a piece of shit generation. We were talking about in the last episode that we uh, taped this evening uh how you know the fucking back in the 60s what did world war ii generation say about the fucking boomers in the 60s these fucking young kids and they're elvis this and they're dylan that and they're fucking beatles and they're all just oh you know let's all be our own selves but every everybody's self is just drugs and fucking rock and roll I hate this generation. Well, those are the boomers. And now the boomers coming along and the Gen X coming along who sort of got sandwiched in the middle there. And they're all saying, oh, these goddamn millennials and these fucking Gen Z, Q, whatever the fuck the next generation is. Um, so it's, it's real easy to bag on the next generation. And I, I see it as sort of reverse ageism, right? You know, we talk about ageism as, you know, the old people can't get jobs, which is fucked up because they're so fucking wise very often. Uh, but now it's the older folks, my generation, Gen X, and the boomers saying, oh, these young generation. And the truth is, the older generations have all the power. I mean, in society, the fucking, um, in family, in society, in culture, in finance, in basically everything, even in like culture, like music or theater or even online. Who's got the fucking power? It ain't the fucking 20-year-olds. They have no fucking power. It's rare, right? It's everyone else. So the people that have the power, it's easy to say, no, the young people are the fucking problem. Oh, I'm sorry, but the young people are the fucking brains of the fucking future and the creativity and so on and so forth. So why don't we all just fucking kick the shit out of younger generations? Why don't we all just fucking say, oh, all the older generations are the problem? Why, why don't we all just get in this stupid fucking fight rather than having some fucking honor for each other? Rather than finding the good, you know, my father, he was a pastor. He died at 92 a couple years ago. And uh, dad, at the end, of, he had been a Lutheran pastor for, you know, 60 fucking years, whatever it was. And he was just sold to the earth. Grew up on farm country, way up in Kitson County in northern Minnesota. Home of what is presently the um, northernmost distillery in the continental uh, lower 48 way up in Kitson County, Hallock, Minnesota, uh, Far North Spirits in my dad's hometown of Hallock, Minnesota. Anyway, he grew up there, salt of the earth, and, and so on and so forth. But he ended his career, his last like 12 years of his pastoral career, working uh, uh, as a chaplain at the Veterans Hospital in Minneapolis. And he was World War II generation himself, born in 28 and all this shit. And he said, you know, Sven, the real task when working in everyday counseling is to find the good in the other person and focus on it. And you'd say, Sven, you, you want to connect with people? Find the good in them and focus on it. If you find the bad on them and that's all you look at, you're never going to connect. You're never going to uh, lead a person. You're never going to lead a group. You're never going to win someone's trust. You're never going to bond with someone. If you're looking at the bad in them, it's like that motherfucking old dude knew some shit. <laughs> I was young and fucking stupid. I old man doesn't know shit. But as I age, I'm like, that motherfucker knows some shit. Um, so anyway, yeah, man, focusing on good. Let, let's tear each other apart like a pack of fucking wolves. Or let's start finding the good and building each other up for fuck's sake, man. All right. Uh, we're going to hit some more questions right after this. It took me to the place that scared me the most. The crap I've been running from my whole life. The stuff that's been dragging me down. And it literally began the healing. I feel lighter, clearer, and just happier. Finally, some freaking peace. You gotta get this book. There's a hole in my love cup. Or the do-it-yourself video courses. All at badasscounseling.com. It's totally killer stuff. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. 
Now back to more badass counseling with Sven. And we are back on the Badass Counseling Show. We are taping a uh, live feed online where I am taking friends. Uh, friends, I am taking questions from all of my friends here online, and even maybe a few enemies. God bless you. Keep it fucking salty. And here we go. I've got a question here from Colin Beal. Um, how can you help change a poor outlook on life in general? If you have a poor outlook on life in general, honestly, because it's you've had so much pain and so many fears and bullshit beliefs that you've been taught about yourself ram down your fucking throat from a young age. So much gets packed down on top of your real self. Down deep inside is your real authentic self. Your path, your aspirations, your dreams, the things that you really want, they're not out there. You think you have to go out and find them. You actually don't. All you have to do is pull out all the pain and all the crud, all the bullshit you were taught about yourself. Pull all of that out. And there are methods for doing that. As I talked about, I wrote a whole goddamn book for that exact thing. There's a hole in my love cup. To teach you how to get all that shit out. And what then happens is effortly rising up from within is your own self. And with that sense of self is an energy. The more you get the pain and the crud out of you, the more you feel lighter, the more energy, literally physical energy you have. I have client after client after client after client over 30 years saying, holy shit, Sven, I feel lighter. I'm so much clearer. I know what I want. Oh my God, Sven, I've got so much fucking energy. I used to not be able to get out of fucking bed. Now it's just like, I want to go running. I want to go work out. I spend more time. I have more spontaneous ideas and spontaneous action. I'm not always dragged the fuck down. So the question that Colin asked was, how can you help change a poor outlook on life in general? In all honesty, there's one solution. You can try to force action. Oh, I'm going to put on a sunny face. Yeah, that fucking lasts till you get home from work. You fucking ball your eyes out. People putting on a sunny face, they're packing down all their pain. I believe in the exact opposite. Pull it all out. Start pulling it all out. And it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a week. With my clients, I'm able to accelerate the process because I know the fucking questions asked. And again, that's why I wrote the fucking book. Use that fucking book. Hell, don't even buy the book. Don't buy my fucking book. Don't. Just use the fucking 500, 600 free um, videos that I've posted on Instagram, on TikTok, on Utah, on YouTube. Use those, go through those, and use those as prompts for writing in your journal and diving deeper into yourself. And the more you get that crud out, the lighter you become, literally more physical energy, the clearer you become, the more excited you become. And not only the vision of what you want, but you have the motivation to pursue it and not stop. So many people say, Sven, I struggle with the motivation. I stop and I start, I stop and I start. I can't sustain the motivation. Yeah, because you got so much fucking crud inside you. You get the fucking pain out. I get people telling me, Sven, Jesus, I'm reading your book and everything's changed. I'm getting clear. You're right. It's not bullshit. I'm actually getting the shit out. And holy cow, I've never been this light in my life. Or I've never had a better understanding of what I really want. Or I've never had this sense of peace inside. I'm not just bullshitting you guys. It's like, do you really think I would be making all these fucking videos and doing a fucking podcast if I felt I was just like making shit up? This stuff works. And you want to know how I know it works? Because it worked on me first. I was depressed. Back in my 20s and into my 30s, I was suicidally depressed for 12 years. And no therapy helped me. Little bits and smidges here and there, but nobody sustained helped me. No one had been where I was who was in my you know sphere of life who could help me, guide me, hold my hand, pull me out of the, the dark forest. I had to find my own way out, and it was hard. And I did it all on my own. And I read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of self-help books, spirituality books, fucking mind control books, fucking everything. And I found my own way through. And it took a very long time, but I figured it out. So every exercise that I recommend, every book that I recommend, I've tried it. I know it works from personal experience plus from 30 fucking years of counseling people and using these things and developing the badass counseling method. So dude, just do this shit that I'm fucking telling you to do. Trust me, if you have the courage to go to the very place that you have been running from your entire fucking life, if you have the courage to go there and sort out and begin pulling out all the shit, everything changes. In the words of the immortal Joseph Campbell, my favorite author of all time, the cave you most fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Do you have the balls? All right. Give me the next question. Come on, guys. Here we go. 
Rock and roll, hoochie coo. Um, my ex and I co-parent, but we're like best friends. But his girlfriend hates me, but refuses to meet or talk. Yeah, I've been there. This is from Managing the Madness. My ex and I co-parent, great. We're like best friends, but his girlfriend hates me, but refuses to meet or talk. And you know what? If someone refuses to meet or talk with you, you got to let that shit go, bottom line. And if you have a great co-parenting relationship, oh my God. On behalf of your children, let me say thank you for whatever you and your ex are doing because I have so many fucking clients. We all know people where the co-parenting situation is an absolute fuck fest shit show. Yes, I just managed to squeeze fuck and shit into a double hyphenated, hyphenated set of words, whatever. I thought that was quite clever and quite impromptu. Anyway, point is, you're like best friends. And so, you know what? I've dated people before where they're really good friends with their exes, but there's always one ex that always like, you know, sort of skirts around the edges or doesn't want to come out of the shadows, just shake your hand and say, hey, my name is Steve. Um, it is what it is. You're, you're, if, her, if, if your ex's lover hates you and refuses to meet or talk, and yet your ex is still great and you guys have a great relationship, hey, man, Thank the gods for that one. Thank your lucky stars. And I applaud you so fucking much for what you and your ex are doing on behalf of your kids. Trust me, there are a whole lot of people listening to this podcast and on this feed saying, shit, I wish my parents had fucking co-parented well. Or people who are co-parenting say, I wish I had that because it would make life so much easier. All right, um, next question. Here we go. What are your thoughts on dream careers? This is from X X. I don't know how that's pronounced. What are your thoughts on dream careers? Now, I'm not, and you put dream careers in quotes, so I'm not precisely what you mean, uh, sure of what you mean when you say dream careers, but I'm going to assume that you have a dream career. What are my thoughts on it? My thoughts on that are, if I'm being really fucking honest, are, are you fucking kidding me? You get one fucking life, man. I counsel people of all ages, from the very young to the very old, like even people in their 80s. And if there is one refrain I hear as people age, it's like, I wish I had dot, dot, dot. Regret. Don't fucking regret. It is infinitely better in my estimation of life. And there are other people gonna, that are going to say, Sven's a fucking meathead. Don't listen to him. And I have five brothers who would probably agree with that. Um <coughs> One's half brother, half sister. Long story. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I'm an absolute believer in dream careers. I went after a dream. In my 20s, I made the decision, I'm not going to let anybody push me around. I'm not going to work shit that I don't want to fucking work. I'm going to pay my bills. I'm going to figure out my way through life. But I know what I want to do, and I'm only going to do what I want to do. And I, you want to know what it is? Speak, write, counsel. That's all I ever wanted to do. And it didn't hit me really. And, and that sort of formulated into my late 20s. My first article was published when I was 28. All right. And then it's just like, I want to do this. And the, my big one at the time was speaking. I want to speak to large audiences. And the counseling began to develop and pick up speed. And it's like, oh, fuck, I love this. And the writing, I'd been writing my whole life, journaling, but I'd never thought of myself as a writer. And it wasn't even a blip on the motherfucking sonar, man. But then I realized these are the three things I want to do with my life. And I would rather be poor doing shit I love. I'll work whatever jobs. And there were times when I was working three fucking jobs, working in restaurants, bartending, fucking. I even worked for Starbucks for a while to get insurance from my lover at the time because we were cohabitating. And uh, I'm just a believer in dream careers. I We did an episode earlier on uh, failure to launch. We were talking with this great fucking young artist, 26-year-old guy um, by the name of Shane. Uh, OGR underscore scintilla on uh, TikTok. And this fucker is pursuing his dream career making music. And he's got like 370,000 fucking followers on TikTok. And he's pursuing his dream career. And bit by bit, it's coming together. Bit by bit. That shit doesn't happen overnight. A dream career doesn't fucking happen overnight, man. You gotta have the balls to grind that shit out. Even when the world's against you. What do I believe? Do I believe in dream careers? Absolutely. It's, there are a few things I believe in more than dream careers. Deliberate parenting, you know, good sex on a Saturday afternoon, nice glass of bourbon, but dream career. I mean, that's right up there. It's like have the balls to do it because if you walk away from uh, going after your dream career, you'll regret that shit forever, man. I got so many people who didn't go after it. 
and they regret it. You gotta have the courage to go after your dream careers. I'm a huge believer in that because it's far better to fail at what you love doing than to succeed at something you fucking hate doing. All right, next question. What do we got? How do you not repeat the emotional abuse your parents taught you? Fuck, I love that. I love that. This is from Electrician72. How do you not repeat the emotional abuse your parents taught you? You do it by going into it. And you all have heard me say this a million times, but you you go into the pain. You go into it and you begin to identify it. That's what I talk about in my book. There's a hole in my love cup. Um, and uh, and uh, you got to go in, begin to identify, dig deeper, dig deeper. What the hell is really going on? Where does this come from? Um, and so forth. And identify it and begin to get it out and all the emotional charges that are attached to your memories and so on and so forth. And I, it's more than I can actually explain right here. But the And I go into it in the book and I, in my counseling method. Um, but until you actually examine how you were emotionally abused and allow those feelings to come back up and to come out, you're still in the throes of those things. So it really means facing it. And, for, and forcing yourself to look at it and name it and so on and so forth. All right, uh, we'll be back in just a moment with more Badass Counseling right after this. Are you finally ready to turn your life around? Finally get the clarity, happiness, and sense of purpose you've been waiting for your whole life? Then go to BadassCounseling.com now and get the international best-selling book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. It changed my life. It'll change yours. Now, back to the badass. Yeah, we are back. We are on the live feed uh, online, taking questions live and taping for uh, the Badass Counseling Show. I'm taking your questions. Um, it's great to have you all here tonight, whether you're online or whether you're picking it up later uh, on the podcast. I love this lightning round, spontaneity, wild stuff, and taking it from all comers, any sort of question coming across the feed. I love it. Um, how do I help myself not feel like I can't be loved? So when somebody believes they can't be loved, this goes back to messages you got in fucking childhood about your worth. This goes back to uh, messages you got in childhood. Uh, this didn't start yesterday. It didn't start last year or five years ago. This goes way the fuck back. And as I've been saying all night on separate issues, you got to go back into that. You got to identify it. How do you do that? Or to book for that or just use all these fucking uh, videos that I put up. Use the uh, Badass Counseling Podcast as prompts for your journaling. But you have to begin to identify the messages that you have. You have to begin to get the pain out and the fears out and the bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself. Next question. How do you manage your husband's ex-wife? Husband's ex-wife who was abusive and can't let him go. They have one kid. Um, without knowing more on how, uh, well, you say was abusive, I assume towards him or towards the kid. If the woman was abusive towards the child, then you call child fucking protective services. If the ex was abusive towards the husband, to some degree, the husband's got to fucking learn to stand up for his fucking self. I'm trying to find the pain point inside of you. And the pain point sounds like your very last clause, Caladora, where you say, and she can't let him go. They have one kid. I think the real answer to this one is some serious sit down conversations with your husband and say, what the fuck is going on? What is the effect of your wife not wanting to let go? How is she acting? How is that making you feel? And how do you think this is making me feel? We need to talk this out. This is something that you and your husband's soul uh, together because you're not going to solve it way over here if you're on one side and she's on the other side and she's still wanting him back and ultimately he's going to have to draw some boundaries it'll be real interesting to see if he does because if he's not willing to draw boundaries with his ex he's to some degree indulging her or quite possibly afraid of her well that's a whole separate fucking can of worms if he's afraid to stand up to her and draw hard boundaries uh, but that's some serious conversations you need to be having with your ex and you need to stand up for what your needs are Okay, here's a great question. This is from Amy Sheehy. And the question is, what is your greatest weakness in parenting? So this is being asked of me. <laughs> I wish my kids were here. My kids are 28 and 31. They were up visiting a few weeks ago, Rob. And I, and I said to him, I got Rob, my producer here, and I got KC back in the booth. And uh, Rob, I, I told my kids when they were here a few weeks ago, you, 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 yeah, I brought them over. You talked to them, brought them into the studio. Very impressive, Sven. They're very impressive kids. Well, thank you. Fortunately, they got my ex-wife's good looks. Um, and uh, uh, But I had said to them, I said, you know, 
let's make a TikTok and, you know, the audience and, uh, or come on the podcast and uh, everyone can meet you and you can tell them all the ways I fucked up. And uh, they're like, yeah, Pop, we'll just stay out of that little fun world that you have going here. We prefer to remain anonymous. I told you they were smart. <laughs> so back to your question, though, Amy, I'm not dodging. The question was, what is your greatest weakness in your parenting? My greatest weakness in my parenting is infusing too much of me and not giving them the room to be who they are. That's been one of my biggest challenges over the years, especially in their teen years. It's so easy, you know, as those kids move from 10, 11, 12, they're moving into the teen years, right when they're starting to discover a sense of self and distance from the parenting, when we've been in, involved or when we've had that relationship with the kids, it's hard to let that go, to let them have peer groups, to let them date, to let them have a world outside of me, outside of family. It's hard to let it go when we've been very often so enmeshed or so interactive in each other's lives. And it's hard to sort of, for lack of a better word, give them their power back, give them their life back to begin to detach them. See, when kids are young, you know, imagine, and this is kind of silly, but imagine each one of us has a computer chip inside of you. And when children are young, we sort of wire them into my computer chip to learn my values. Well, you know, look both ways before crossing. Be nice to old people. Uh, work hard. Have fun. You know, enjoy life. All these different messages. But as they age, I need to begin to dewire them from me and wire them into their own chip. Otherwise, they're going to get to adulthood and not know who the fuck they are. They're going to get into adulthood and not trust their own voice. They'll have never made a decision based on their own values. And so they're going to get off to their first job when they're living on the other side of the country. And they're going to be calling you up. What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? I don't know what to do. Whereas the good parent is the one that has wired, begun wiring them back into their own chip as a teenager and taught them to trust their own instincts and make their own decisions, allowed them to fall on their face and then helped them back up and said, I love you. It's going to be okay. Now, what'd you learn from this experience? And then encourage them rather than taking the control back after they make a mistake, but allow them to keep the control and make the next decision based on all they've learned. So moving into those teen years, it's really hard to let go of control, to let the child have their power back. Realizing the goal of parenting isn't just to give your children a great childhood, it's prepare them to stand on two feet as an adult. I don't mean stand on your own two feet financially, that, but to stand on, in, in relationship with their own soul, their own sense of self. And how can they do that then if they haven't done it now, bit by bit by bit by bit? So um, my biggest challenge, uh, weakness in parenting was for years, it was just like, I didn't want to give up control. I didn't, I wanted to infuse my two cents and so on and so forth. But I think the deeper issue for me is ego, my own fucking ego. You know, uh, I had to be very deliberate about telling them, you don't exist to make me proud. You're not an extension of me. You aren't a reflection of me. You are your own entity. And that's a version of giving them their life back. But it's removing my fucking ego and my own shit from my childhood. And for as great a parents as I had, there were problems that I had to sort through with my parents and in my own self. My wanting attention. You know what? Here's another one. Even as an adult, Rob was very nice in his compliments on my kids. And they've both been successful. And it's very easy for me to co-opt that acquire that, use that for my purposes, brag about my kids. I'm using them for my looking good. And I'm so fucking vain. And I am so pride driven that to remove that from the equation of my parenting, that's been my own personal biggest challenge. All right, next question. How do I cope as a new father of a 15 month old son? And I have a physical disability that limits me. Uh, this is from dystrophy 420. How do I cope as a new father of a 15-month-old son and I have a physical disability that limits me? Um, you don't say precisely what you're coping with. Is it your own physical pain? Is it the difficulties of having a 15-year-old and the crying and the demands and chasing that one who's probably walking now um, and running around? Is it chasing him around? Um, your own disability? Is it own, your own feelings of inadequacy? Um, I don't know really what you're coping with. Um, but the truth is, any new parent, we are all, as new parents, we're all struggling. A, a young couple that's very, very dear to me right now, they had a baby about a year, well, roughly about 15 months ago, and they're really struggling. 
and it's really hard and they're both working and they're starting to nip at each other and it's hard man children are hard and part of what you do is you know it, it's it goes back to the basics it's teamwork and getting good sleep and i know at times that's not hard but it's prioritizing that and the thing is you have to understand when you have kids Okay, now I have multiple goals here. You may still have career goals and, and relationship goals for you and your mate. But now you've added another piece of the equation. And that is a, a life. So you've got like several things that you're trying to pursue all at once. There's only, only so many fucking hours in the day. There's only so much energy in the day. Is there room? Do you have the energy to sustain all of these things? And so maybe some things have to be scaled back. Well, you've already made the decision on the kid. So you have to scale back some of those other things that you're invested in. Otherwise, you spread yourself so thin, and guess what? The parent or the child feels that over time. The child feels that over time. And so really, it gets down to a question of values. Do you have the courage to reassess and reapportion your values, your energy, your focus, based on now you've created a life? And it really doesn't seem fair to bring that life into the world and bump that down to third or fourth on the list of priorities. Not that it always has to be number one. And things are constantly in flux. Um, but sometimes we have to let go of certain things for a period of time to make room for other things that are higher priorities. And so it's, to some degree, it's a question of prioritization. But yes, young parenting, new parenting is just hard, period, fact. And you have to be deliberate about your own disciplines, which include time <laughs> to rest good diet, exercise, those things fucking matter. As well as time alone, time with people you love, trusting the people you trust to take your child so that you can breathe. Breathing's important. And I mean breathing in the form of time away, time alone. Um, all right, next question. Uh, do I do private counseling? Yes, I do. You can go to badasscounseling.com. Someone reached out and says, I've recently bought your book and I love that bit about the man in the woods. I opened the book with a story about a man who lives in the woods and quite frankly, I don't want to tell that story right now. Get the book. It's, uh, I opened the book with it, either chapter one or the introduction. It's a great fucking story. I'm sorry. I'm just feeling lazy. <laughs> All right. I want your questions. How can I help you guys? I'm sorry. I'm not blowing you off about story in the woods and I love it, Hawkman. I love that you love that story. I love that fucking story. It was one I remember from my childhood. Anyway, um, what do you do when your partner violates a clear boundary? This is from uh, Cece. Uh, what to do when your partner violates a clear boundary? Um, first of all, you tell your partner that they have violated your boundary and that you're hurt. If you're angry, remember, anger is a response to pain, either past pain, present pain, or perceived future pain. So if you're angry at them, you can express that anger too, but what's underneath that is hurt and express the hurt. And then just watch. Watch how they fucking respond. Do they own it? Because you're about to see who this person is. When you lay something in front of someone, when you tell them the truth of how you're feeling, watch how they respond. And if they come back with, no, that's bullshit, I didn't fucking do that, or you're so full of shit, or it's, you're the fucking problem. If they come back with some derivative of that, you, they, my response internally is, thank you so much, you just showed me who you are. But if they come back with, fuck, you're right. I see it. I did hurt you. I did violate your boundary. I did. And I'm so fucking sorry. And there's no excuse. There's no fucking excuse. Internally, do you want to know what I'm thinking? Thank you so much. You just showed me who you are. So the real problem isn't that someone just violated your clear boundary. The real problem is, have you indicated to them that they have violated your clear boundary? Have you told them your disappointment and your hurt? And have you watched their response? Is the problem in this equation that you haven't told them how they hurt you? Or is it that you don't like how they responded? In which case, my response to you is, the fuck are you going to do about it? How long do you allow someone to violate your boundaries? Or do you allow someone to violate one of your non-negotiable boundaries and then you still let them off the hook? Now it's you basically tacitly endorsing their behavior. But if someone shows you who they are, just fucking believe them. Or if you choose not to believe them, you really, you kind of only got to kick yourself down the road if they do it again. You have to enforce your boundaries. And there has to be a clear line of demarcation inside of yourself where you say, there are certain things I won't tolerate anymore. 
And that means you being willing to face your fears and potentially walking away from someone and potentially being alone and potential blowback. But you have to stand up for yourself and say, this hurt. And then just watch how they respond. And remember, they're showing you who they are. Next question. How do I cope with anger toward an emotionally absent father? I've told him, but he doesn't care. And this is from Ellen Snowball. How do I cope with anger towards an emotionally absent father? Um, you don't cope. I am not a believer in coping. Yes, there are times in life, situations we got to get through, they've got to cope, but coping is not a long-term situ- uh, solution. As I recently posted, if you're still trying to cope, you're not healed. The better solution with an emotionally absent father, as you said, Ellen Snowball, the better solution is to heal. Well, how do you heal when you have an emotionally absent father? You Just like I've said for everything else tonight, you go into the pain. You allow that pain. You welcome that pain up rather than stuffing that pain down. You allow it up and you feel it and you bring it up and you welcome it and you journal about it. You go to counseling about it. You write letters to your father that you don't send. You begin to flush out all of that pain and all of that anger. And eventually, eventually, not quickly, eventually the pain leaves because until the pain's out of you, it's still in you, but eventually it can be out of you. And all of this angst then that you have towards your emotionally absent father evaporates because you've done the work of getting it out. And all of a sudden you have a new relationship with your father, one where you're in control, one where if your needs aren't being met, you become okay with that and you move on with your life. But very often the anger that you're feeling over an emotionally absent parent, in this case a father, for Ellen Snowball, is that you're still wanting something from your father. More likely than not, Ellen Snowball, you're still wanting something from your father. When we're still holding on to someone and they're basically just punching us in the fucking face by being emotionally absent or they're punching us in the face by being critical or being something else, if you're still holding on to someone and your needs aren't being met and you're angry and you're hurt, it's because you're wanting something from that person. Yes, you are. You think, oh, yeah, I want a relationship, but there's something about that relationship that you want. So now we're digging deeper. What is it that I want if I were to have a good relationship with my father where they're emotionally present? Well, then I would feel loved. But what specifically are we talking about? And very often it boils down to the five A's. Acceptance of who I am, approval of who I am, admission of what they've done, acknowledgement of the pain they've caused me, or apology, or some uh, amalgam of those five things. If you're holding on to someone who is still doing you pain, and it can it very often is a parent, it's very often an ex-lover. If you're holding on to someone who is still inflicting pain in one way or another, it's because you still want something from them. And one of the hard, ugly truths of life is when we admit that I have a clear pattern of behavior and clearly this person has no interest in giving me what I need and meeting my needs and meeting what I want. And when it's a parent, it's doubly sad to know that they have no interest and treating you in the way you want to be treated or giving you the acknowledgement or the approval that you want. And it's a sad day, but it's also a very liberating day. You realize you've spent your whole life contorting yourself, trying to get that love from your parent. And once you realize you're never going to get it in the form you want it or get it at all, it's sad and you grieve that, but it's also liberating because for the first fucking time in your life, you can live your life your way. You're no longer trying to win their approval. All right, I got room for one more question. How do I stop seeking approval of my life decisions and do what I think is best for myself? Well, my question to you is, why do you want approval for your life decisions? What need is being met? Or more importantly, what's the fear if you don't get approval for your life decisions? I always tell people, if you're ever trying to understand why someone's doing something that doesn't make sense or why I'm myself am doing something that doesn't make sense, always Go ask yourself the question, what's the primary fear driving the behavior? Then speculate the answers and go with the biggest, hairiest, scariest one. So in your case, um, basically, how do I stop seeking approval of my life decisions? My question to you is, what's your fear if you don't get that approval? What's the fear? It's like you in and of yourself can't approve your own life. You need someone else's approval. You fear that if I don't get someone else to approve of my life decisions, either they're invalid, they're not as good, something, there's some fear inside of there that you fear that if you don't get that approval, and my question to you would be, um, what is the, if you don't get that approval, what is the one thing you most fear happening? Or more importantly, let me ask this question, What's the one sentence you most fear hearing from someone or most fear someone thinking if you make a decision 
and maybe someone disagrees with it or whether if you're feeling insecure about your decision what is the one sentence you most fear someone thinking about you what is it that's the sentence that's running your life that's the sentence that sentence is the fear you are running from and you're uh, bending and contorting so much of your life based around and then the question becomes and who's the one person you most fear hearing that sentence from or that it would be the most painful to know they're thinking about you Who's that person? That's the person who has control of you from inside of you. You're seeking their approval. You're wanting something from them or you're fearing them thinking ill of you. You can't set yourself free because you're still worried about what they think of you. If you can identify who that person is and the thing that you most fear them thinking and then ask yourself the question, and what happens if they did think that? Would life end? No, life goes on. Once you can face that one fear that you fear the most from the person you fear the most and be okay with it happening, all of a sudden your life begins to be your own because they no longer have the power over you that they've always had. That was the last question of the day. This has been great. Thank you so much for your questions. This has kicked ass. Thank you all for coming on and being a part of this latest uh, installment of the Badass Counseling Show. I don't even listen to fucking podcasts and here I are making one. Uh, well, actually, Rob's making it. I'm just doing what I do. Um, all this here is here to help you guys. It, that's what it's there for. Use this shit, man. Go into the shit. Fucking heal your life. You will get happier. This shit works. I love you guys. I love you guys who have been firing the questions at me. I love you all. Guys, women, non-binaries, not trying to be offensive to anyone. Sorry. It's a cultural thing from when I was in the 70s. Whatever. Sorry. Anyway, bottom line is, thanks for joining the Badass Counseling Show podcast. It's been kick-ass. And on behalf of Rob and Casey, have a kick-ass night. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer Sven Erlinson. Have a kick-ass day.